noticed when you came into church, things might look a little different. There is no longer any tape on this side of the church. So if you want and are more comfortable with social distancing, you sit on this side of the church. If you are okay with sitting in front of another person, you sit on this side of the church. The church can no longer support uh, social distancing for the 10 o'clock mass, which is standing room only these days. So this is the compromise that I have made. So again, it's your decision, and I know that this is gonna get the people from the north all upset, because they are the ones who scream at me the most uh, based on my protocol decisions as the pastor. So hopefully you can take a deep breath and you know, this pandemic is no longer a pandemic. It is going to be a virus that is with us for all eternity. And if we don't start live, starting to get used to living with it like the flu, we're never going just to get out of this rut we're in. But that's a different homily, a different reality. Because today we're going mountain climbing. Is everyone ready for that? Yeah. I hope you brought your hiking boots because we're climbing the mountain. It's in the, within the Word of God today, there are four mountains specifically mentioned or indirectly mentioned. In the first reading, okay, I am not a, I am not in charge of the church, as you should well know. I am just a faithful, obedient priest and servant of the church. However, I don't have a clue why those who put together the first, the readings for the Mass today did what they did to that first reading. That first reading is so chopped up, you don't even know what's going on. And if you even look in your missile, if you have a few missile with you, it shows you. It's like two verses here, two verses here, two verses here, two verses here, all put together. So you miss out. One of the most important things, you, so we have Abraham and Isaac. Abraham is called by God to be the father of a great nation. Abraham, as we know, Abraham and Sarah were barren, had no children, but God blessed them with a son, Isaac, in their old age. So in their old age, they had a son. The Word of God, which the part they cut out of the Word of God, is way, uh, in, the, in the readings today, it's still in the Word of God, it's just not in our readings for the Mass, is that in Genesis chapter 22, we see that Isaac and uh, Abraham brings Isaac to the mountain. He brings him to Mount Moriah. And on this mountain, he is going to offer the sacrifice of his son. The son who carries the wood that is going to be used for the offering. So we think, we often think of Isaac as a little boy. Isaac was not a boy. Isaac had to be an older teen or a young man. And, and as we look at the Talmud, or the Targums, those are those, that's what the rabbis in the Old Testament and to this very day use to help interpret scripture. They all reference Isaac as being at least a man for at least a man in 18 to 20. Now remember, Abraham was old when he had him. So now it's 18 years later. Abraham was not the strongest man in the world. So that means that the test of obedience wasn't just to Abraham, but it was also to Isaac. Isaac could have beat his father up. 
Isaac could have said to him, he could have overtaken his father and ran away. But Isaac was obedient to God. Because he asked, in the story that we said, which parts are missing, Isaac asked his father, Abraham, where is the sacrifice we're going to offer? I'm carrying, I'm lugging up the wood, but I don't see any lamb or animal around us. And Abraham's response, God will provide. So, so Isaac, Isaac is suspicious. Isaac is suspicious what's going on, but Isaac, we see, also was obedient. I mean, Isaac had to lie there and wait and, and watch the knife coming towards him in obedience to his father, who was being obedient to God. So the test wasn't just to Abraham, the test was to Isaac, because Isaac was going to be the, the heir of Abraham. And the covenant that God establishes was Abraham to Isaac and then to Isaac's children. So it's very important we recognize that. The second mountain we look at is what we see in the Gospel today, Mount Tabor, where Jesus is transfigured before him. Now I remember back in high school, dear old Sister Dorothy Eileen, who was the uh, grammar police, she taught us English, so I guess she had to be, but she always, I'm talking about writing and how one writes, the way you pick your words and how the order you put the words is significant. And you want to do something that's going to, to capture the audience at the very beginning of the writing. But, but we see, what does, what does Saint, Saint Mark tell us? He says, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves, where he was transfigured. That's a pretty, those are two long lines to give weight to the fact that he was transfigured. I mean, if you really want to catch people's attention, you would say, Jesus was transfigured on a mountain with. You see, transfigured, oh my gosh, he was transfigured. And you might be thinking, and you're reading that, I don't know what transfigured means, so you have to read further. But Mark is very clear. And remember, as I tell you all the time, every word in Scripture counts. And so Mark is very clear by saying he led them up a high mountain. Now the Jewish audience hearing this story, hearing this account that Mark is giving, would hear a high mountain. And two mountains in particular would come immediately to their minds. And that would be Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai. And as it stands out, as you read further, as they hear the account further, Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai is identified in the figures of Moses and Elijah. Moses received the Ten Commandments on the mountain. Moses received those commandments in which God appeared as thunder. His voice was heard like thunder. There was lightning, there was clouds, there was the majesty of his power on Mount Sinai. Elijah goes up to Mount Horeb and Elijah Elijah finds, finds the voice of God, not the thunder or the earthquake or, the, or the, the lightning. He finds it in the still, small voice, that soft breeze. He hears the voice of God. So we see, for the Jewish mind, the Israelite who is hearing this account of what Mark is sharing immediately understands that on a mountain, God is revealed. 
On a mountain, God is revealed. And so then we come to another mountain, which is alluded to, which is Calvary. Which Calvary really wasn't a mountain as much as a hill, but Calvary, where Jesus gave his life for us, Calvary is right a walk's throw away from the temple. The temple in which God is adored and praised. And we know that the temple was built where? Mount Moriah. The temple was built on the mountain in which Isaac was to be sacrificed by God. The, the temple was built on the mountain in which God enters a covenant with man. And notice the covenant that God makes with man. He says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you acted as you did, and I'm not withholding from me your beloved son, I will bless you abundantly. So God swears to himself, on himself, because he knows that we as human beings are incapable. We are incapable of being faithful to him at this point. Not so much on that fifth mountain of Calvary, in which Jesus suffers and dies, in which he then gives us a share in the divine life of God, which then makes us capable and able to be faithful to the covenant. So we see very clear. so what does all of this have to do with you and me? It's nice to see how scripture points out to, points out, and it shows the connection between the Old and the New Testament to show how Jesus truly is the fulfillment. But what does that have to do with you and me? It has everything to do with you and me. Because Lent is the time in which we climb the mountain of the Lord. We enter into prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. We take on sacrifices. We die to self so that we can climb the mountain of the Lord so we can have an encounter with him. That is what Lent is all about. That is why I don't eat meat. I mean, I don't eat meat on Friday, on Lent. Well, you can look at it and say, well, big deal. What does eating meat or not eating meat have to do with anything with regards to my salvation? Well, it has everything to do with obedience. It has everything to do with obedience as we see in Isaac. His father said it, he followed it. The church tells us we follow it. Why do we follow it? In obedience. Whether we understand it or not, whether we think it's ridiculous or not, we follow it to be obedient, to die to ourselves, to die to our own will, to die to our own desires. This is why we do this is why we do, and this is just a little thing. This is just a little thing that the church asks all faithful to do. Of course, the church is nicer than I am because they give that age clause. There's, there's no age clauses in Father Pesci's world, so it's a good thing I'm not, I don't speak for the church and I'm not the Pope. So aren't you blessed there? I have to follow in obedience what the church tells me. But, so, but the point being is that it's an act of sacrifice. It seems little. It seems insignificant. Eat meat, don't eat meat. But in reality, that small little thing is one step closer to being obedient to the bigger things that are going to be asked of us, to the bigger things of God, which God is going to ask us to in dying to self, by loving my enemy, forgiving those who persecute you, 
by being, by being a living example of God's love and mercy to this world of hatred and division. That takes a little bit more effort on our part. And that takes a little bit more to be obedient to that. And so therefore, these little acts of obedience train me for the bigger obedience. But my dear brothers and sisters, before I forget, the challenge and the question to all of us is, A, do we recognize and realize that we're climbing the mountain of the Lord these 40 days? And if you're climbing a mountain, it's going to require an exertion. It's going to require effort on our part. It is going to not be the most comfortable thing in the world to climb a mountain. And yet the church gives us the tools necessary to climb this mountain, prayer, fasting, almsgiving. And that in climbing this mountain, we are climbing this mountain not to just get to the mountaintop and say, isn't this a great view? We're climbing the mountain to encounter the living God. Which, if we enter into and climb this mountain with our best effort this Lent, that Easter Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection, we will encounter the risen living Lord in a new and more profound way. Are you ready for it? Well, looking at this group, I would say you're not ready for this. You're just ready for me to shut up. That's what you're ready for. But, but if we're not ready for it, if we're not, we should be in longing expectation. It shouldn't be, oh, this is Lent. Woe is me, have to sacrifice. No other religion does it but the Catholics. Why, why, why? I mean, that's, that's what kind of an encounter with the risen Lord are you going to have? Not a very dramatic one. But if you, if you enter into this with the realization that I am going to encounter the risen Lord on Easter Sunday, if you, and if you not only have that in your mind, but you believe it, because it's going to happen, and too often we miss it, because we don't know what to, we don't know where to be looking for it. So let us pray through these examples on the second, the second week of, the start of the second week of Lent that we will strive to climb the mountain of the Lord to the best of our ability, that we will prepare ourselves for that encounter with the risen God, with the risen Lord, so that on Easter Sunday, not only will Jesus resurrect from the dead, but you and I will resurrect from the deadness of our selfishness, of our, of our willpower to live for ourselves, so that we can live only for the Lord. This is our prayer. And this is what our Lenten journey is all about. Praise be Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.